there. We just wanted to note that when this episode of Humans of InfoSec was recorded, our guest Rinky Sethi was VP of Information Security at Palo Alto Networks. She is now the VP of Information Security at IBM. Now back to this week's episode. From Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my good friend and colleague, Rinky Sethi. Rinky and I work together on security strategy, communications, training and awareness at eBay, and for more than 30 adjacent businesses on the eBay Global Information Security team. She's currently the Vice President of Information Security at Palo Alto Networks, where she leads a team that's creating and running their best-in-class Security Operations Center. Rinky is a recipient of the One to Watch Award by CSO Magazine and the Executive Women's Forum, and she also contributed to the ISACA book, Creating a Culture of Security by Stephen Ross. Rinky, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Caroline. It's great to be here. So a story that I don't think I've heard you tell for years now, um, but that I'd love for you to share with our listeners is how did you get started in security? Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your career path? And in particular, what really inspired you to transition from one role to another along the way? Yeah, so um, I got started with security and accident. Um, I graduated from college when uh, it was the dot-com bust. And I remember people were fighting for jobs in their last year of college. You know, there would be one opening and there'd be 30 or 40 people trying to apply for a software developer job because it was just not a good time to have graduated with a comp sci degree back then. Um, And I was fighting, I was one of those people trying to find a job and any job at that point in time. Um, And it was April, um, you know, and I was gonna be graduating in June and there happened to be a career night that my friends were going to. And so I just joined them because I heard there was free pizza there. And so (laughs) being a college student, I went ahead and joined my friends um, and it happened to be PG&E that was there talking about careers at PG&E. And they, I went up there and talked to some of the hiring managers after their presentation was done. And one of the hiring managers I was chit-chatting with just asked me casually, what's your favorite class you're taking right now? And that happened to be cryptography for me. And so as uh, we started talking, he asked me who the professor was. He happened to know the professor and he's, we went into a long conversation. He said, I want to hire, I want to interview you for this job uh, in our information protection organization. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I was excited that I had an interview lined up. And uh, the rest is kind of history. That was my first step into cybersecurity before cybersecurity really even existed as a, a you know, a really strong career path like it does today. Um, so I started off as a security analyst back at PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. Um, did that for a few years, did more on the auditing and compliance side. Uh, wrote policies for them, helped them with security education and awareness, uh, developed or implemented some uh, security compliance tools, um, and was there for a few years uh, before I transitioned to my next role, which was uh, my next role was then at at uh, Walmart.com. So I went from PG&E to Walmart.com. Walmart.com was actually building out their security organization at that time. 
Um, and I was the second out of, I, I guess it was a manager plus me. So I was the first person to be in the security organization as, as an engineer there. And they were kind of new to rolling out PCI. This is when PCI had just been introduced and Walmart.com needed to ensure that they were compliant since they dealt with online transactions. Um, and I helped them build out the security team. And while I was there, they hired a more senior level security engineer to work with me. And I was really fortunate that he came along because he kind of taught me everything I knew about security and helped me be that hands-on security engineer, learn everything from how do I um, how do I look at architectural diagrams around the network? What why are firewalls in certain places? How do I go and approve firewall changes? How do I take down phishing sites? How do I go and do a pen test? I basically learned end to end every single aspect of security hands on while I was at Walmart.com, um, and it was uh, you know it was, I was really fortunate to have that appear with me that taught me along the way. Um, one of the things I realized while I was at Walmart.com was I had a really strong development uh, background, a really strong engineering background. And I, I connected really well with other engineers. And what that meant for me was I went and I was responsible for training developers on security and how do you write secure code. And I, and I realized that was a real passion for me, that I loved seeing security culture change and how you touch people's hearts so that they care about security. And that's actually what led me to my job at eBay. Um, I was hired there to go and drive a security culture transformation at eBay, everything from uh, developing a communications program to teaching our developers about security, gamifying that, creating a champions program. Um, and, and that was what I got hired there for. Um, as it so happens, I did a, a few other things along the way. Um, and then that's when I got the fortune of working with Caroline <laughs> and really building out a strong function around security communications and security strategy. And my role grew and I was the chief of staff for the eBay security organization. And then from there, I went over to Intuit. Um, you know, I had my second child while I was at, in, uh, at eBay and I was looking for a little bit of a change. I was ready to go from a management position to really focusing back on myself. And at Intuit, there was a role that had opened up that they called back then um, an information security officer or security business partner role to really build out security strategy for a few of their business units. And so I went there to go do that. Um, a few months into that job, they said, look, the product security leader left, and we need you to really help us uh, transform the way product security is thought of along all the business units at Intuit. Um, and that was a pretty daunting job when you think about the different products that Intuit um, has, TurboTax and QuickBooks and Mint, and how do, you, how do you ensure there's security within every single product there? And this was a new role for me. And then building a global team to help with red teaming and pen testing while I was there. And then from Intuit, I was looking for CISO jobs when one of my peers took the CISO job at Palo Alto Networks and said, come join me. And so here I am, I'm the Vice President of Security Operations. Um, I had the privilege to build out the first security operations center here at Palo Alto Networks, as well as all the attack capabilities. Um, what is our uh, story to customers as it relates to how we do security internally, security education and awareness, and I also lead all of our business operations here. It's, it's an incredible story. One of the things that I've always admired so much about you is your deep technical expertise. Um, and actually, a follow-up question I have for you is why you decided to study uh, computer science. Uh, personally, I studied computer science and electrical engineering because 
my Chinese immigrant father sort of insisted <laughs> that I do that. But hearing you tell your story makes me think that, you know, before this PG&E opportunity happened to come along that, you know, you might have wanted to do development or maybe, you know, development and engineering. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of your early passion for computer science and really sort of what led you to study that in school? Yeah, I think I have a similar story to yours, Caroline. I also had a dad that was really strong in math and science. And so that was just a part of me growing up. Um, I was, I had a computer when I, I think when I was five or six, I remember playing this rabbit game on before there was even a GUI interface on the computer. Um, and so I was exposed to computers, science, math, very early on as a, as a young child. Um, and I was very comfortable with computers growing up. In fact, I remember when instant messaging first came out, I would even, um, you know, my dad was worried that I was talking to boys um, through instant messaging. So he had a keylogger on my machine. It was this app that where he could read everything. I found out that he had that. And so I would uninstall it, hack it, you know, have it say fake things to him. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and, and I realized I just had a knack for computers back then. But when I was going to go to college, I actually wanted to go and become a lawyer. And my dad said, well, a law degree happens the second four years of college, not the first four years. So you need to pick a, a degree um, and, you know, you've got two choices. You go and do medicine or engineering. And so I, you know, chose engineering. That's fascinating. I think you and I do indeed have, you know, our dads sort of have these similar traits about them. Uh, my father actually was an attorney himself, uh, and he advised me not to study law. He said, um, you know, he said, Caroline, I don't think law is for you. Um, you know, I really think that that you'd you'd enjoy going into business or into engineering instead. So it's, it's really interesting to hear um, these things. But on the other hand, you know, whereas you're hacking this like keylogger application that your dad has put on the computer to see if you're talking to boys, um, I, and granted, we were, we were different ages. I, as a six-year-old child, uh, believed my father when he told me that my Nintendo game system was tired and needed to rest after 20 minutes. <laughs> so as children, uh, we had different understandings of technology. Um, but I went to like the computer science camps and stuff like that. Um, and, and it definitely gave me a sense of ease, uh, at, le at least in being so in, in some of those environments. Rinky, you and I are both uh, very lucky uh, to be moms of beautiful, healthy, happy children. Um, and we each have one girl and one boy. Um, I want to talk to you about something that you recently did with the Girl Scouts. Um, you advised the Girl Scouts on the creation of cybersecurity badges uh, for young girls. And I'd like to hear what you think about, you know, why is this important to you both personally and professionally? Yeah, so it's one of my proudest moments working for a company was when Peloton Networks announced the partnership with the Girl Scouts and releasing the first set of national cybersecurity uh, badges for young girls, K through 12. And I remember when they told me they wanted me involved, I couldn't have been more thrilled. I didn't know much about the Girl Scouts, to be honest with you. I was never a Girl Scout, and I didn't know that they had such a strong focus on STEM. And I heard the CEO of the Girl Scouts talk about this program and how she's so focused on STEM and her story about being one of the few early uh, rocket scientists at NASA um, and her experience and how Girl Scouts led her to, down that path. 
and um, and you know then getting involved in developing the badges with the Girl Scouts for cybersecurity. Um, this is, I think, this is important for industry now. There's a lot of you know areas where there's no cybersecurity education available, and every kid is using technology at a very young age. And this program allows. Uh, uh, you know, us to get cybersecurity education at every zip code around the nation, which I think is amazing. For me personally, as I got involved with this, um, it was just around the time that I got involved with this that I remember my daughter, who's now 10, she was on her cell phone and she plays, you know, a few games that of course we've approved. And one of the games texted her um, and said, "Hey, you know, if you'd like to buy more coins, send a text to this mess. Uh, send a text message to this number." And she responded back and said, "My dad's sleeping right now, but I'll let you know as soon as he wakes up." And I saw this on her phone, and I just my heart sank. And I felt here I am as a cybersecurity professional in industry, teaching others about cybersecurity, but haven't given any of those tips or tools to my own kids. And then I just thinking about the broader problem there around what we need to do to get our kids really savvy around cybersecurity and, you know, not just texting and cyberbullying, but around actual savviness around creating good passwords and whatever it may be. Um, this is super meaningful for me personally. Um, and, you know, I've done a, a lot more now to teach my kids about uh, staying safe and secure when they're doing things online. But I think this is a really important initiative. That's awesome. I'm uh, I'm so excited for my daughter to join the Girl Scouts. Um, I was a Girl Scout from like third through eighth grade. Um, and every Friday we'd go to school wearing our uniforms. And of course, the big thing about being a Girl Scout that I remember is selling the cookies. Um, the funny thing about that for me, and this is actually another story about my dad, who was kind of a conservative guy. He, um, he didn't like the idea at all of his little girl going door to door and selling cookies. And so he was like, I'm going to do this for you. <laughs> and he would, <laughs> he would bring me to his office, his law office. Uh, and I'd be like, you know, I was a little kid, you know, wearing my Girl Scout uniform and all of his colleagues would sort of ooh and ah over his daughter. Um, and then he would sell the cookies for me <laughs> and he would, and he would, and he would distribute the cookies. Um, but it was really good times. You know, um, we did camping, we did crafts, um, and, and for my daughter who at age three is already pretty adept at using a smartphone, um, you know, it, it, does, it does concern me on one hand, um, sort of the, everything they're going to face in life, right? Everything that our children are going to face in life. I think as a parent, you wonder to yourself, like, how can I help prepare them? you know, um, and, and I just think that these cybersecurity badges are really fantastic. No, I totally agree. It's, it's awesome to hear that you were a Girl Scout. Um, and so, you know, kind of the focus on STEM that they have and now bringing cybersecurity into their world. And I think that's happening next month. So how exciting. Yeah, fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, one of these days, uh, you'll receive a text message from me. Uh, and, and I'm sure it'll be, you know, a picture of my daughter in her daisy uniform or something. That'll be a really, that'll be a really fun day. And then one day, you know, in the future, I'll send you a text message and she'll be proudly displaying her cybersecurity badge. And I'll say, you know, your auntie Rinky helped make that happen. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's going to be a very cool moment. I love that. Um, I want to talk to you too, you know, I was just reading an article that you wrote in Dark Reading about your thoughts 
um, with regards to cybersecurity innovation. Um, you made a couple of points that really resonated with me. And this is something that, you know, you and I, when we were working at eBay, we were like in the trenches together. Um, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about people that you know in this industry that you've worked with side by side, um, because there's just so much to deal with, you end up going through a lot with each other. Um, and two of the points that you made in this particular article, one of them was with regards to technology and the fact that new technology surprise only works if it's implemented and used correctly. And the second one is purple teaming. Uh, I kind of chuckled uh, when, I, when, I, when I read the first one. Uh, there was a time in my career when uh, you know, I was working on a, on a security team uh, and the CISO uh, in putting together a presentation to executive management had said, you know, we've got DLP rolled out and it was kind of like, okay, great, but, but the, 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 there was kind of this issue too because this was a perfect situation of exactly what you're talking about. New technology only works if it implemented and used correctly. And in, in this particular case that I'm referring to, you know, it was, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And in fact, um, at the time I was working for a global team uh, and, you know, this technology was somewhat implemented and somewhat used in some locations and not in others. Uh, and there was this actually pretty big disconnect in terms of understanding on the part of the executive management team because they sort of assumed that, you know, because our security team owned the license to this very powerful technology uh, that it worked perfectly. And of course, you know, for anyone who has been in the situation of deploying security technology, uh, you know that the, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, so I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your thoughts on, you know, technology and the fact that it doesn't always just work. <laughs> um, and, and then also your thoughts on purple teaming, which I think is an incredibly important topic in today's environment. Yeah, no, I, I think you nailed it, right? So I, it, when you think about, when I think about what we sell at Palo Networks, you know, we sell the next generation firewall. Now, there, it's got a lot of features in the firewall, right? It's, it, it can be used as just a firewall in the old ways that firewalls used to be used. But there's all these other cool features, and I'm using Palo Networks as an example, but this could be any other technology, right? There's features in now that things like preventing credential theft, right? So preventing phishing, you know, so if people, if there's a bad guy trying to get credentials from your environment, they'll be blocked. Now, these are cool new things that are available, but you have to not, first of all, just make sure that your firewalls are implemented, they're put in the right places, but that you're now leveraging these features that are available um, so that you're secure and that you're not just secure, but you're using the automation and all these new capabilities that exist in these technologies. Otherwise, you know, a lot of times you hear that people have done, used a certain product and they're really upset. And at the end of the day, you find out it's just, you didn't, how did you go back and check that it was actually implemented correctly? And have you been keeping up with roadmaps and stuff for those products to ensure that you're using the latest and greatest and that you're up to date in your technology that you have there? And sometimes it's not just about, now let's switch this tech out and go buy new tech. First, make sure that what you have in place, you're leveraging to the best of its abilities. Um, and then when I, when I talk about that and I mention that and even how we do things here internally, you have to validate you have to put new tech in place. You use the latest features. Let's say you have implemented it correctly or you believe you've implemented it correctly. 
How do you test that? And in my opinion, one of the best ways to test that is you purple team it. And so purple teaming can be used, I think, in a lot of that, you know, terminology is used in a lot of different ways. We use it in a lot of different ways here internally um, at Palo Alto Networks too. But one idea is that you go and actually red team, you test, um, and then you work very closely with your blue team or your security operations function to make sure that what you're attacking is the is your ops team actually able to detect it or not um, in the same way you could any new technology that you put in place like identity and access management or you put in a new two-factor authentication solution in place you got to test it and you can do that by attacking it see if your red team can get in in creative ways right whether it's your red team or an outsourced red team or pen testing company make sure that you've implemented it right and you do that by attacking it in different creative ways and then also make sure that in that technologies, you want to be sending all those logs, you want to be sending alerts to your blue team or your ops team, where if things are being misused or, you know, where there should be a, there's a security concern that your ops team is actually being uh, alerted and that they're reacting to it. And that whole ecosystem. So now when you think about you've implemented a new technology, you've tested it from the red team side, you've worked with the blue team or the ops team, purple team, um, to make sure that whole process, the ecosystem's working the way it should. Only then can you say, I've implemented this new technology in the right way. Um, and so I think those two actually go pretty tightly um, hand in hand um, in terms of making sure you're leveraging the technology the way it should be leveraged, that um, you've implemented it correctly, you're using the latest features, and then you've validated that way you've implemented it and how you hoped for it to work in your environment is actually how it is working. I think that's really cool how you sort of wove those two points together and made just like an even better point. When I was thinking about it, I didn't realize how interconnected the two are. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, there is a point I also want to just highlight um, in what you said, which is with regards to version upgrades. So, you know, you and I worked on communications and culture together. And I think that, you know, sometimes you have this security technology and you've got like version four and you need version five and then you're trying to communicate your security roadmap and say what are we doing in q4 you know and then and then you write down you know we're upgrading from version four to version five and if that's the only information that you provide then the recipient of that information can think well that sounds not very important. You know, that doesn't sound very big. That doesn't sound very impactful. You know, and then I think sometimes you can get questions like, well, why is it going to take so long? And why are we spending time doing this upgrade instead of, you know, some other project that might be a little more sensational? Um, and so, so I think there's something to be said about helping stakeholders to understand when technology is being implemented and used correctly, but also to highlight sort of different features and benefits of things like upgrades, which are super important. Uh, but sometimes I think they can kind of get, you know, perceived wrongly um, as wasted time or, you know, not a valuable use of effort. Um, so I just wanted to point out, I, I think that's a, not at all a trivial point. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think working, you know, holding your vendors accountable to ensuring they're sharing roadmap, um, not just once a year, um, but 
very frequently, making aware of new features that are out there. Um, and then, yeah, I'm working with your, it's security, um, you know, only works when you have tight partnerships with other business, ensuring people see value in what this new upgrade or whatever it may be, because it is time consuming. It does take a lot of resources. Rinky, the, the last question I have for you today is you've managed teams across the board when it comes to running a security program, building out a SOC and leading threat intelligence and red teaming functions, creating awareness and training initiatives, overseeing GRC functions. What throughout your career has been your favorite area and why? Um, you know, it's interesting, this question, because if had you asked me three years ago, I would have said driving security culture change and security education and awareness, just because that's so close to my heart and it's where my career kind of started and where I found my passion in security. Um, but my opinion changed over the last three years on that. And um, I'll start with like a quick story. At some point in my career, someone told me, and I can't remember who and when and where, but... I remember it and it's ingrained in my head that someone told me that never as a woman pursue security operations or incident response because it's a 24 by seven job. And if you decide to have a family, it's very hard to manage and it's just not the, it's just not a good job. It's for low level engineers. And now I've had the, this, you know, like amazing opportunity to go build a SOC and hire people for a SOC and, see what they bring to the table, learn all about incident response. And I just realized how garbage that advice was. Incident response is my favorite thing. It feels to me like what I loved and why I wanted to pursue law really early on, where you're solving this crazy mysteries and defending people and that kind of thing. I feel like incident response is like that. You get in it every single time. The incident's different. Um, you're learning something completely new every single time almost, right? And it's like solving a mystery. And when you have an incredible team, you see the value that these um, these SOC or security operations engineers bring, and it's just mind blowing. And I couldn't, I can't believe now, thinking back, that someone would have said that they were low level engineers and that it's you know, um, and so and that it's not a good career path for women. I wish now, if I was to look back, that I started my career there. But absolutely, my favorite function to get hands on with and to just manage and lead. It's been amazing. So I love incident response. That's so cool. I think for me, incident response definitely has the aspects of you learn so much because you have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and also there's sort of this thrilling um, adrenaline rush that goes along with it. Um, so it's really cool to hear you talk about uh, why you enjoy it so much. Um, Rinky, I actually want to squeeze in one more question because um, I think that our listeners would be really interested in it, which is if you could go back and talk to yourself, you know, when you were attending job fairs at the end of college and, you know, the environment was such that, you know, you weren't really sure if, if you were going to be able to get a job that you liked right away, what would you say to that person? Gosh, I would have said go find your passion. Um, and, you know, I think when you graduate college, you learn all these things and maybe you're passionate about one of them or not, but you're more, you kind of graduate and you're like, I want to, for me, at least it was, I want to find a job and I want to be self-sustaining after I graduate. And I wish instead if, you know, and, and I was 
very fortunate that I found my passion in security. You know, it didn't start that way. It was just, I started a job and then I found my passion in it. But I wish if I was to go back, um, one of the things that I get attracted to, um, whether it's employees that I hire or people that I work with, is when they're passionate, you know? Um, and so I wish that, I wish I had told, now I would go back and tell myself, go find your passion and chase it. Um, so that would be the advice I'd give to my, my younger self. Cool. I can, I can see that, you know, when I've been out to dinner uh, with your team uh, and I see the way that your team members, folks who work for you, interact with you, um, I definitely see sort of this deep connection, a respect, a loyalty. Um, and the folks that work for you that I've met seemed really pumped about their jobs. Um, and you certainly don't see that every day. You don't always see security teams that are happy. <laughs> you don't always see security teams that love their bosses. Um, but I'm actually thinking about a particular dinner last year in Tucson uh, when I had the opportunity to meet some of your team. Uh, and it just struck me. You know, I was like, wow, like, Frankie's got a really passionate team. Uh, so it's cool to have witnessed that firsthand. Um, well, we are now officially over time, uh, but I want to thank you so much for joining me today uh, and for your generosity in sharing your story. Thanks, Caroline, again, for having me here. My pleasure. Rinky mentioned Palo Alto Network's work on the National Cybersecurity Badges for Girl Scouts. If you'd like to explore this resource or other resources, you can sign up for our Humans of InfoSec recap at resource.cobalt.io slash humansofinfosec. You can also find us on Twitter at humansofinfosec. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. Thanks for listening.